Coming up this hour, we're going to hear from George W. Bush. Also, six things to not say about God during a global pandemic. Plus, it is a certain co-host's birthday today. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk Plus, wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, if you're a podcaster, one, we're so grateful for you. Two, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does really help us out a whole heap, as no one says. Uh, Brian, <laughs> how are you doing on this fine Monday? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, a fun weekend, beautiful weather. Finally got to mow my lawn. And uh, as you said in the intro, today is my birthday. And so all that I wanted to do for my birthday was clean, spend the day cleaning the garage. And I've really, <laughs> really enjoyed it so far. <laughs> uh, is it weird that I I completely relate to that impulse? Like you told me and I was like, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because so I turned 43 today and uh and, you know, it's birthdays are so fun because, you know, that's the one day where it's fun to be on Facebook. Everyone from your, you know, from when you're younger or whatever, reaching out. But yeah, you know, what, A, what can you do? You know, where there's not much open or not much you could do, but it was literally like, I just want to hang out with my family. And uh, we've got a bunch of stuff we're trying to do that, that like the first step of it is to clean our garage. So I was like, let's just clean our garage today and yeah, let's man. have some fun with it. Yeah, it's been a good day. It's been good so far. Well, happy birthday to you, man. Thank I was you. mentioning off air that you were 41 when we started this show. <laughs> it's a young like pup. <laughs> so, so long ago. I, either way, I hope that you feel immensely celebrated and appreciated Thank because you. Uh, you are a good, good dude. Oh, I Before, appreciate that, man. Before we get into uh, this article here from the Huffington Post, 27 funny and heartwarming quotes from kids in coronavirus lockdown. Actually, Brian reached out to your wife and uh, I secured a recording that they made for you on your birthday. Take a listen. The top 10 things you may not know about Brian Fromm. Number 10. His parents said that his nicknames growing up were Campbell's Soup Kid in elementary school, Mr. Central during high school, and the voice of the Wheaton College Crusaders. Number nine, his older brother David said that he was the most athletic little chubby kid he's ever known. <laughs> Number eight, Graham, a buddy from New Jersey, remembers his crazy ability to quote every line of the documentary, the 1986 Mets, a year to remember. <laughs> Number seven, Janet, a close family friend, says, One of the best things about Brian is that he has a huge heart for people. He cares deeply, loves fiercely, and gives grace freely. It is a gift and an honor to be his friend. Number six, he is a worthy opponent in our football games, but it still feels good to beat him so much. <laughs> Number five, he has the best, worst dad jokes. Number four, he knows how to properly rock out to Bon Jovi and Billy Joel. <laughs> Number three, his happy places are going to any Mets game, jumping waves in the ocean, or walking the boardwalk. Number two, his favorite foods are a big slice of New York pizza and Swedish fish. Number one, you make life more fun for us, Brian. We love you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Oh man, that's a good family right there. That's man. awesome. And you you got to know what's happening in my house. 
uh, my fa- my three kids and my wife all snuck up here to listen to that. Well, it was pretty cool. So. Oh, that was awesome. Thanks, guys. That was really fun. Ian, thanks for that, man. That really means a lot. That was great. Well, you are you are a blessed, blessed man. That that did my heart good just to even hear those things. Thank you, From family, for playing <laughs> along so well. You guys are awesome. Oh, that was really fun. I I did not see that coming. That was good. That was good. <laughs> I do love a good surprise. Yes, um, well done. Well, I'm I'm sure it'll come up other times throughout the show. But uh, do you want to dive into this 27 funny and heartwarming quotes from kids? No, these are great because all of us are dealing with the same things right now, right? right. Families at home trying to deal with it. So, yeah, let's just start racking them because it's fun. You know, there's so much heaviness out there with the coronavirus. It's fun to see some just to laugh a little bit. Right. So Jonah, age 13, said this, Mom, this social distancing thing is awesome. I don't have to wear pants at all this month. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. All right, this is CC age two. Um how to tell when quarantine is throwing you off at 8.30 p.m. Can I have lunch? <laughs> uh, number three. Uh, let's see. This is Charlie, age four. Uh, Charlie, what day is it? Mom says it's Tuesday. Charlie says, is there still coronavirus? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Andy, age five, Andy's first Zoom call with her kindergarten class. If everyone would just be quiet, you would know what I'm saying. And there's a photo <laughs> of these kids <laughs> trying to hold Zoom meetings. It's amazing. Oh, it says, uh, next kid, Brindley, age seven. I was making something for the porch. This is her mom said this. Brindley says, what does that say? Mommy says, it says welcome. Brindley says, oh, it should say go away. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Joseph, age five. Mom, did you know that if you play in mud and then don't wash your hands, you can get grown-up virus? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's so good. Uh, Sam Sam has to write a letter to his teacher about his week and tell her one thing he learned so far. He said, I learned that two hours of homeschool is way worse than eight hours of regular school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we're not going to get to all of these, but we'll, we'll post this on the Facebook page. This is between uh, Reed, age two, and Silas, age four. So Reed says, why do you have your helmet on? And si- Silas says, just for safety. Don't want to get COVID, right? <laughs> Four-year-old. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Marlo, age seven. Jeff, you make my immune system stronger because you're a dirty dog. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously saying it to the family dog. (laughs) I I was going to say that one may require some explanation. (laughs) Anyone, by the way, that's like just tuning in, just to kind of recap, these are 27 funny things that kids have said about pandemic and lockdown and quarantine and all that, because for the last two months, Brian and I have been starting the show every day with like the news, right? the latest what's the urgent and i i just figured you know what i'm brian's birthday let's just start with some funny uh <laughs> yeah. this one's harper age three harper says mommy when the coronavirus and sickness are gone i'll let you out <laughs> and the mom says you locked us in and harper said yes to keep the sickness Aww. out horrible <laughs> <laughs> This next one, Marlo, age seven, just just says, I'm going to get on a call. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So this is uh, Niall doesn't give his aid. The kids are starting their distance learning journey tomorrow. I hope I don't get online detention. (laughs) I I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. Evelyn, age five, to her mom. The mom said, I put makeup on this morning. 
Evelyn said, are you going somewhere today? Mom said, no, I just wanted to get ready and feel like I was going somewhere today. <laughs> That's <laughs> so true. Uh, okay. So Jet, age 10, says, Andy, quarantine is making you really gassy. <laughs> that's, to, that's to a sibling apparently oh, oh well here's a sweet one harper age three to her mom mom after the germs are gone i still don't want to go anywhere and mom says why baby and harper says because i want to stay here with you forever <laughs> oh my gosh that's my kids are screaming at me so <laughs> I'm waiting for the day they can say sweet things like that um <laughs> CC age two. I wonder if this is the same CC. Hey, Dad, you're wearing the mask of the virus. <laughs> okay, we got like uh, I'll give you, one more. You, you get a last one. Yeah, go for it. All right, Kelly uh, says to her brother Jack, "Okay, guys, I love you." Oh no, Kelly's the mom. But I'm going to go watch Tiger King on my own for a little bit. Jack, <laughs> mommy, first of all, it's called Lion King. Why do parents keep messing that up? And second, it's always better to watch with someone else. And I love Lion King, so I'll come with you. <laughs> Uh, oh, those are oh, fun. Man. That's amazing. We didn't get to the whole list, but it is posted on our Facebook page of the Common Good Radio Show. We'd love to know. Maybe somebody reading it or listening actually has their own that they would add to it that you've heard your kids say. Feel free to uh, comment on that post on the Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. Coming up next, uh, George W. Bush gave a short address that is going kind of viral right now. We're going to play that, and then we're going to react. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the birthday boy, Brian Fromm, 43 years young. You feel 43, by the way? Like when you think back to what you thought 43 would feel like? Yeah, you know, I feel 43, but when you say 43 years young, I'm not sure about the young part. <laughs> oh, I'm trying yeah. to help bolster the self-esteem, man. You're out cleaning the garage on your birthday. and uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's been a good day, and yeah, I don't. 43 sounds about right right now. You know, the back's a little sore when I woke up this morning. So I was like, yeah, yep, uh-huh. I feel it. <laughs> I do like that. That's what middle age is. You wake up a little sore and you're like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how I expected to feel this morning. <laughs> that seems par for the course. All right. So a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. You can also review that page. That does help us out. Plus, that's where we post all of our articles, and you can send us messages if you have ideas or suggestions for the show. Also on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com. Plus, wherever it is you get your podcast, if you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe, rate, review really does help us out a whole lot. I've been loving uh, the usernames from the people that have been leaving reviews. 5 a.m. Dub Club. Is probably my favorite so far. Or leader club in the club. clubhouse. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I have a lot of club experience. Either way, <laughs> what really what I'm saying is any interaction whatsoever on Facebook or the podcast really, really does help us out. And it's Brian's birthday. So what better occasion to help the show out than uh, Brian's birthday? So thanks in advance for doing that. I think a lot of people probably saw this over the weekend. There's a, uh, a video put together with a short address from President George W. Bush that was pretty powerful talking about uh, looking for hope in the midst of a pandemic. So I'm gonna, I wanted to play that audio, and then Brian Fromm and I will just react a little bit. This is a challenging and solemn time in the life of our nation and world. A remorseless, invisible enemy threatens the elderly and vulnerable among us. 
a disease that can quickly take breath in life. Medical professionals are risking their own health for the health of others, and we're deeply grateful. Officials at every level are setting out the requirements of public health that protect us all. And we all need to do our part. The disease also threatens broader damage, harm to our sense of safety, security, and community. The larger challenge we share is to confront an outbreak of fear and loneliness. And it is frustrating that many of the normal tools of compassion, a hug, a touch, can bring the opposite of the good we intend. In this case, we serve our neighbor by separating from them. We cannot allow physical separation to become emotional isolation. This requires us to be not only compassionate, but creative in our outreach. And people across the nation are using the tools of technology in the cause of solidarity. In this time of testing, we need to remember a few things. First, let us remember we have faced times of testing before. Following 9-11, I saw a great nation rise as one to honor the brave, to grieve with the grieving, and to embrace unavoidable new duties. And I have no doubt, none at all, that this spirit of service and sacrifice is alive and well in America. Second, let us remember that empathy and simple kindness are essential, powerful tools of national recovery. Even at an appropriate social distance, we can find ways to be present in the lives of others, to ease their anxiety and share their burdens. Third, let's remember that the suffering we experience as a nation does not fall evenly. In the days to come, it will be especially important to care in practical ways for the elderly, the ill, and the unemployed. Finally, let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together, and we are determined to rise. God bless you all. All right, Brian, so I'm curious, just, it's not that long, but no. what, what stood out to you about what he said there? There's a couple things that stood out. One, I mean, you put it out, this up on our Facebook page, and yeah. uh, it has gotten a ton of traction, right? Um, which is just speaks to how it's resonating with people. Right. Uh, two, uh, my own personal politics and my own personal preferences. I, when I hear George W. Bush, I miss George W. Bush. <laughs> so um, I, I, there's something comforting about his leadership style there. But it's there's so much good in there. For instance, the uh, we are not partisan combatants, but we're yeah. human beings equally vulnerable. This call to unity, which he's, you know, he did after 9-11. It's, it's very similar. But this call, I've been so discouraged uh, through this global, through this pandemic here about how partisan not only have we remained as a country, but almost increased uh, right. And so to hear George Bush say, you know what, we're not partisan combatants. We're all in this together. We've got to attack this together. We'll rise or fall together. I resonate so much to that and quite frankly, just wish on both sides of the aisle that that's what we were hearing from our current politicians right now. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the word tenderness keeps coming to mind for me. And that's not a, a word I use very much. It just it sounded 
tender and yet still strong. Like it felt like leadership. Yes. Now, obviously, whether it's on our Facebook page or the many other places that you've seen this, a lot of people, unfortunately, are even using this speech as a way to like take a jab at somebody else, which part of me thinks, I don't, is that helpful in this? I mean, isn't that kind of what he was just talking against? Yeah. Yep. Uh, but there, yeah, there is. And I, it's been interesting because I've seen a bunch of people who have shared it and said, I'm actually not a W fan. That's right. I, I didn't vote for him. I had all sorts of issues with his presidency, but this resonates like this stands out to me. And to me, that's, that's part of what I find so encouraging or inspiring or something that people could say, I disagree with the man on a whole lot of things. And I'm not even saying I like him, but this three minutes here actually like gives me some hope for humanity. I don't know. There's something yeah. about his tenderness and his posture and his tone and the words he said that kind of transcends party politics, which I think you're spot on. I think, I think we need more of that, not less. Absolutely. Like where he even says, uh, just the call that empathy and simple kindness are essential, powerful tools to national recovery. Like right. just getting at the foundation of things. And uh, it is just a reminder. I mean, we've always been partisan. We've always had these issues, but it is a reminder of how far we've um, how much more partisan we've become. And I mean, you know, regardless of what you believe one side of the aisle or the other, I mean, the fact that he put this out there and President Trump and some others took a shot at him was really discouraging to me. Right, right. And uh, I think we really needs to make us look in the mirror. Like right now, we need these kinds of voices, uh, not just from one spot, but from from past leaders, current leaders, just kind of saying, hey, keep showing empathy, simple kindness, Right. Uh, don't become emotionally isolated. We're all in this together. All of these sorts of messages are the ones that I think we're all longing for right now and right. need to be welcomed as opposed to like, you know, well, if he said this, it must be a shot at that person or a shot at that person. Let's just, you know what, take a deep breath and say we're in a, we're in a huge national tragedy right now. We're right. all we got we got to band together and do this together. Yeah, what he was saying too, right? We we rise and fall together, and we're determined to rise, you know. Yeah. And even the ownership, even the honesty to say, "Hey, this hasn't this hasn't hit everyone equally either." Like I appreciated his candor and tone there because I think that's another important part of the discussion. Absolutely. Either way, I, I found it really inspiring. We'd love to know sure. what you thought or think. We've posted that video on our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. Feel free to weigh in and uh, let us know what you think. Coming up next, Brian Fromm for his birthday. I'm going to try and get him as many lists as possible. <laughs> he loves articles with lists. I and do. This, this particular article is called Six Things Not to Say About God During a Global Pandemic. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hopefully. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with the newly 43 43'd. <laughs> 43'd is that 43 yes i think that's, that's what it proper, is. <laughs> is that an adverb that i can use for the rest of today the newly 43 like you're a newly minted coin or something that is i mean anyway wine. <laughs> right what i'm saying through words that don't exist is that it's brian Fromm's birthday if you wouldn't mind maybe maybe i'll just outright ask leave him a birthday thank you or appreciation or hurrah on the facebook page the common good radio show go ahead and just write a post or something and uh give him give him some words of love if you've Never listened to the show before. Uh, you should also know this. Brian Fromm is a words of affirmation person. Very so much it's, so. It's sort of like uh, like a dollar match program. Like for every word of encouragement you give, <laughs> it will impact Brian 15 times more than the average person. So head on over to the Facebook page or Twitter at Common Good Talk and uh, give Brian some love. Or also, the thing he told me he wants most for his birthday 
is for you all to subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. That That's, is true. Uh, he wants to clean his garage and get reviews on the podcast. So you can do all of that, and you can even pause us now if you're listening via podcast. That would make his day. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, this article is entitled Six Things Not to Say About God During a Global Pandemic. We're going to get to that, but first, Brian Fromm has some words for you. Yeah, during this coronavirus pandemic, we are fully aware that there are many businesses that have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you're one of those businesses, if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form. And we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Here's the best part. It's totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Right on, Brian Fromm. Okay, so <laughs> this is from intheshift.com. I don't know if you've uh, frequented In The Shift before. I've never heard of it. This is written by none other than Michael Frost. We've referenced him a number of times on the show. And he wrote an article called Six Things Not to Say About God During a Global Pandemic. Just to put you on the spot, because why not? Let's assume you haven't read this article. You don't know what the six are. Which one would you guess is on this list? What would Or what would you put on the list, maybe, if you were writing this blog? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, something around, uh, something about trivializing it to the point of... Um, God's going to make everything good out of this. Like God's going to, you know, using that verse a little bit out of context to make it seem like this is a tool that, you know, is just being used as opposed to just a really bad thing that yes, God can still bring good out of, but it doesn't mean it's good. Um, So that's that's probably one. Yeah, that's a good one. I I was going to go a little darker and say something like, don't make this one of those. Oh, this is a response of all the evil that we're doing. Oh, in the world. yeah. This is God's righteous judgment because we all watched Game of Thrones or something. Um, <laughs> do you want to get into it? I think the intro is really helpful, but I want to get to these six first because I think they're really, really helpful. And if we have any uh, additional time, we can sort of fill in the blanks there. You want to take number one? Yep. Number one. This is Michael Frost of Six Things Not to Say About God During a Global Pandemic. Number one, this wasn't a surprise to God. A core to any traditional ideas about God is that God knows everything that will happen in the future. This means that God is not surprised by COVID-19, fully anticipated its arrival, and is not unduly worried about it. Thus, we can be secure in the fact that although we might feel uncertain and unsure, God is not giving us a sense of stability and reassurance. What's the problem? There are two things, at least, that are important to consider here. Mm. One, if God is not surprised by things in the future, then God is unable to be genuinely surprised by any interactions with creation and creatures. But surprise is central to genuine relationship. Mm. If there's anything to be said about meaningful relationships with anyone, including the divine, a fully and precisely laid out future cannot be part of the story. Uh, And number two... Uh, the portrayals of God in the Christian scriptures do not seem to promote a view of a God who knows the future and is never surprised. In the stories of scripture, God experiences regret, surprise, shock, disappointment, betrayal, and apparently even answers prayers. Hmm. Uh, if this is the case, then what is the suggestion? Well, perhaps we could say the future is genuinely open and unknown. Uh, God works within and throughout the universe to bring about an ultimate purpose of wholeness, love, and reconciliation. But this does not imply 
that God knows every detail about what will happen. So that's number one. Uh, Ooh, he's starting off controversially. I was going to say he just dumped. He just jumped into the deep end, which is uh, <laughs> which is not uncommon for Michael Frost. There's a lot of theological traditions that are not going to agree with what he just said there, uh, but he also makes a pretty good case from his side as well. Well, they're probably also going to disagree with number two in six things not to say about God during a global pandemic. Number two, God is in control. Related to the idea that God knows every aspect of the future is the idea that God is in control, i.e. this is all just a part of God's master plan. God is using this to accomplish certain purposes, etc. For many people, this feels deeply reassuring. Sure, things might not be going well. Things might even be awful, but it is all a part of God's larger, mysterious plan, and we need to go through this to see the plan unfold for the greater good. But this is problematic, too. If this is all part of God's plan, if God is in control of COVID-19, then God is a monster. Is it really reassuring to say that we don't have to worry because God is just working out a master plan that involves hundreds of thousands of people dying and millions of people suffering? What kind of plan is that? And if that's the plan, then what kind of God is that? Instead, what if we were able to open up to the idea that God is not always in control and things don't always happen according to some supreme divine will? If we can't accept this, then we end up with God as the author of our pain. And to me, that's heresy. Okay, so we're coming out swinging here. Absolutely. With this article, do you think we're going to get any uh, any emails about this? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> um, and I did, I actually had this talk with somebody recently about our show that I think people need to realize, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying this about this article or not, but I said, we try to bring stuff up that makes you feel uncomfortable, but also that you may not agree with, because we want yes, you to have to right. think these through and wrestle with these things. That's right. That's right. Uh, so give this a read. Number three, uh, you touched on this one earlier. This is part of God's judgment against sin. Oh, there it is. Yeah. One of the other favorites that we religious folk tend to employ is that God is doing this to teach people a lesson or as judgment for some kind of sin. Usually it's uh, it is our least favorite group of people that are to blame. Or maybe it's that we've, quote, turned away from God. And so the blessing has been lifted. Hmm. This was a common way of understanding the divine in the ancient world. Uh, If we experience suffering and pain, it must be because we've sinned or displeased God in some way. Conversely, if things are going well, then we're blessed and God is pleased with us. Hmm. But this is an oppressive and anxiety-inducing way of understanding life. Uh, If every time we experience something good, we see it as favor, and every time we experience pain, we see it as judgment, then we're bound into a system that harms ourselves and harms others. Uh, And so he goes on for sake of time. I won't read the rest, but the danger of saying that each and every bad thing is God's judgment. He's saying is a dangerous place to be. Okay. So four five and six are all pretty short. So I'm just going to read them so we can get them all in if that's okay. Go for it. Uh, Number four, this is all a conspiracy by people who hate God and freedom and who want to shut down the church. He says, I include this because I see it circulating, but it's really stupid. So stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, this is an attack of the devil. He says, I know this isn't explicitly about God, but it's still really prevalent. But the short answer is, no, it's not the devil. It's a virus. And number six, God is doing this to propel the church into a new season of expansion. The final temptation is to turn this experience of global pandemic into a triumphalistic celebration of all the good things that will come out of it. I've seen a lot of this, too. Let's look at the good things that are going to take place. Let's look at how the church will grow and expand online into new arenas. Let's look at how the church will rise up and be the answer to the world. This is very exciting. It is a very exciting way to think about what's going on, but it's not the Christian gospel. 
It's just positive thinking enveloped in capitalism and then dressed up with religious imagery. The Christian story is of a man who rejects triumphalism, rejects the way of the throne, rejects the way of power and success in favor of serving and suffering alongside those in pain. Don't tell me how this seems bad, but it's actually going to be really good. Don't tell me that it's all an answer to our prayers. We need to acknowledge that for many people, this is deeply difficult, disruptive, and painful. The waves of sickness and suffering may only be just beginning, especially as we consider how this might hit poorer and less supported people in the majority world. This is hard and awful, and that's the way it is. Of course, good things can come out of this. Of course, we can wake up to a new way of being and treat this as a challenge invitation to change the way we live. Yes, of course, those things. But don't use this as a glossy justification for the pain of those who have had to say goodbye to loved ones over a Zoom call. And I don't have time to get into the the last of it here, but Brian Farron, what what did you think of this article overall? Yeah, like Michael Frost does really well, it gets you thinking and it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) So, um, but I do think his overall point, how we talk about God in this, our theology in this really matters a lot. And sometimes we can get really flippant. And when we pull away at those statements, we realize that they really do more harm than good. And so I think he's really challenging us here. I would encourage everybody to give this a read uh, and you may agree with it and you may not. Yep, and we'd love to know what you agreed about and what you totally disagreed. Right. Coming up next, though, uh, here's the headline. I'm depressed, but I feel I have no right to be. Class guilt during the pandemic. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. There you'll see now cartooned faces of us with yes. surgical masks over our, our face um, which I think was $20 well spent. Also you can uh, see all of our articles there you can leave comments, you can send us messages if you have ideas for future shows you can also rate and review that page, that helps us out a lot. You can do that on the podcast as well and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk and I'm wondering y'all what you think might be in common between Bing Crosby, Chris Miles Arden Rose and James Brown. Anyone have any other guesses? I have absolutely no idea. They all share a birthday with hey. Brian Fromm, which hey. is hey, 43 <laughs> years old. That's not how old Bing Crosby is. That's how old Brian Fromm is. And, yes. uh, if you want to go to the Facebook page and wish him a happy birthday, I think he would really, really appreciate that. Before we get into this BuzzFeed article, and I'm just going to read the headline again because it's so interesting. It says, I'm depressed, but I feel I have no right to be. Class guilt during the pandemic. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Thrivent. So I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. Highly encourage you to do that. They're a, a really wonderful Fortune 500 non-for-profit that's been around for more than a century. Plus, if you're looking for a career change, you can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. And uh, there's a ton of really great opportunities there. Also, they've been hosting a whole heap of wonderful webinars on homeschooling and dealing with depression and mental health and stress and joy and all that. And then on Thursday at 11 a.m., they're actually going to be hosting a conversation with Dr. Ed Stetzer on how to lead through times of pandemic. So I highly encourage you, get on over to our Facebook page, get all the links and times for all of that. I think you'll be really glad that you did. All right. So I don't know, Brian, if you've heard much conversation around class guilt, um, but I, I think it's an interesting concept and something that I've I've heard whispers of, but I thought this article actually put it together pretty well. And I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, what you what would you guess the basic premise of the article is in the first place? 
I would guess that it's saying it's wrestling with, do we have the right to be anxious and depressed? Um, I would guess that they're saying somebody in the middle class is uh, need, doesn't feel like they can be uh, anxious or depressed around COVID-19 because there's, you know, the lower class is struggling more or the people who are sick are struggling more. And that mm-hmm. the issues that maybe the middle class are facing loss of employment, money, fears around money, uh, the, it's the age old. Hey, there's people who have it worse than you right now. Right. So therefore, uh, kind of get it together, you know, and and uh, y- you don't have anything to you don't have as much to worry about. So you shouldn't feel as badly right now. And therefore, you start to feel guilty when you're having anxiety issues, when you're feeling depressed, when you're really anxious about your job or whatever else it might be. That's what I'm guessing this is about. Well, and the subheading too says, what good is the privilege I have when I feel like I can't do anything meaningful with it? Which I imagine maybe a lot of people feel that way. Like, all right, I can at least recognize that I'm privileged to some degree, but, but struggle to know how to actually use it in any kind of meaningful way. And that, ironically like spirals into a kind of different subset of fears and anxieties, which I think again, is showing the complexity of what we're going to be dealing with. I think for years to come, it's not just about, it's not just about infection rate and death, although that's massively you know part of it. And it's not even just about employment and the economy. I think there's going to be all sorts of other things that kind of get tangled into this, that uh, it's going to take us a long while to really learn what we're dealing with. Why, why don't you get us a little bit into this article? Yeah, so it starts uh, anecdotally with a story of Nancy, a 24-year-old first-generation American who grew up, quote, quote, mostly low-income, but she's the only member of her Central American and Caribbean family to have left New York. She currently lives in L.A., where she's employed full-time as a production coordinator, been working there since she was a teenager. Now, as Nancy sees others lose their job or risk their health as frontline workers during the pandemic, she feels, quote, Lucky enough to have somewhere that, one, I enjoy quite a bit, and two, pays me a salary that means I can afford an apartment and the majority of my bills and not feel underwater. It's definitely uh, still all very new to me to have all of this at my age. The goal is very much to eventually give back to my family. But She was diagnosed with depression and anxiety in her late teens and has been struggling through some bad spirals during the lockdown, mostly in silence. And so she talks about this. Uh, and then she says, uh, it says she's not alone. Anxiety, grief and trauma are natural responses to the pandemic. But placed in a class context, some people are finding it hard to accept or give voice to their own feelings. Mm-hmm. Anna Borges, a former colleague of this author who writes about and reports on mental health, has discovered in her interviews with therapists over the past months that, quote, Many people feel ashamed of their emotions because of how their circumstances compare to others in more vulnerable positions. Mm -hmm. And it's adding extra distress to an already awful situation. Uh, And so there's going to be a lot more. It says class in the U.S. is complicated. Um, So it's what we talked about before. We'll pause there. It's what we talked about before that uh, rather that there's that there's some people rather than just um, tackling their feelings or getting the help, I should say, uh, and acknowledging I feel anxious, I feel depressed, I'm in a dark spot right now, that when they compare themselves to maybe what other people are going through, now they heap on guilt upon themselves because they're going, maybe I don't know somebody who died or I haven't been sick or I haven't lost my job. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you start to feel guilty going, well, then what am I feeling this way for? 
And that's always a bad spiral, right? Even before this, when you're looking at other people and go, well, I don't know, they have it worse than me, so I shouldn't feel this way. Right. That's an whole extra burden. And what therapists here are clearly finding is that that's a, a huge subset of people right now who are struggling during this pandemic, but don't feel the freedom to right. either admit that or to deal with those feelings. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, because I think how this has shown up, at least in our show in the past, is when we talk about like persecution of the church globally. And mm-hmm. you and I probably have even That's been right. borderline guilty of this saying like, man, the persecution we've experienced is nothing compared to what they're experiencing over there. And sometimes I, I wonder if that line of thinking is maybe what leads to some of what this article is getting at this downplaying of fears, downplaying of anxieties. Like, Hey, at least you're not a Christian in Iran, right? Like we, there, there, <laughs> yes. there can be sort of this, which is, and Brene Brown has done a, a whole lot of uh, brilliant work on the difference between sympathy and empathy and how, you know, like walking by someone that's in a pit, you said something like, man, at least you're not in that pit over there, or at least you at least had an opportunity to not be in the pit. Or, you know, I, mean, I just think there are subtle ways that we can sometimes perpetuate this without even realizing we're doing it. And I think what's, so this, uh, they quote a clinical psychologist, B. Last, writing for Damage Magazine, noting the psychological impact of the pandemic cuts deep into the core of middle-class anxieties. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that, but are feeling the same way this author is that, well, that feels a little whiny, though. If if I haven't experienced the worst of what I'm reading in the news, do I really have the quote-unquote right to be feeling these things? The answer, the short answer is yes, you do. Like, feel those things, articulate them, keep them in the right context. Maybe I think that's helpful, but to just simply dismiss them or pretend like you're not owed the experience of grief or trauma or regret or depression because somebody else has it worse. I think that's a, that's a really dark trajectory. And I think hopefully at the very least to give people some encouragement to like, no, feel your feelings. And like you were saying, Brian, uh, get help if you need help. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it's a total no-win situation here. And so I would say, I would end exactly what you just said. If you're feeling um, anxious, depressed, just like you need help, like you need, but yet you feel guilty because you're going, well, I don't know. I've got my family. I've got a job. I'm not sick. Uh, let us encourage you to blow through that and still reach out to a friend, reach out to a therapist, reach out to somebody to talk to because your feelings are real. What you're feeling, the change we're going through is real. And uh, and to heap guilt upon that uh, just is going to make it exponentially harder. So I, our encouragement to you is to reach out to a trusted person who you would normally talk to and begin talking through those feelings. Yeah, that's a good word, man. And coming up next, actually, that's a great segue. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about what are some ways that we can actually love people in our lives who may be struggling with depression and anxiety. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about mental health in a pandemic world. We'll also be joined by Matt Armstrong of Crossroad Kids Club. And we remember Rachel Held Evans a year later. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. Hey, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm, who is 43 years old today. Do you know who else is 43 years old? You ready for this? Who else is 43? Not today, but just every who else is 43. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. One of your favorite artists of all time, Shakira. Nice. <laughs> we both Orlando, shake our hips. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Oh, wow. Okay. John, John Cena. Really? Wow. Ryan Reynolds. 
Okay. Floyd Mayweather. Eh. Uh, okay. Vince Carter. Still playing basketball. Okay. <laughs> and Yoel Romero. Who? I don't know. I thought I I didn't I didn't recognize that name. I just ran out of names. Those are good. Do you know what I learned? It's really funny also because my birthday is today, May 4th. And right. like it was only like two or three years ago, someone is like, oh, Star Wars Day. And I never heard that. And then they're like, you know, may the fourth be with you. And I was like, how have I never heard this? Now it's all I hear from people. <laughs> yeah, that, That's actually kind of amazing that you only heard about that a couple of years ago. I could. It was at most five years ago. Somebody said it to me and I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, That's really funny. Somebody it might have actually even been Keith was making the case that Star Wars Day should actually be like the release day of the very first Star Wars. That should be yes, the official Star yes. Wars day, but may the fourth be with you is funny. And, and one other little point to share with yeah. you is that uh, in my church, I've only got one other pastor, Scott Murray, who's been on our show before. Uh, it is also his birthday today. Two pastors oh, no, in the church, same <laughs> birthday, different years, same birthday. How about that? Huh? Oh, that's wonderful. Well, yeah. speaking of wonderful, you can find us on Facebook at the common good radio show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can leave comments there. We have some lively debates going on right now. Also, we have a photo up of Brian Fromm. You can go there and uh, leave him a happy birthday wish. He's a words of affirmation guy, so all of your compliments will be doubled today only. And uh, <laughs> you can find the podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk or 1160hope.com slash the common good subscribing rating reviewing on both the podcast and the facebook page all of that not only helps us out a whole lot but it's the gift that keeps on giving and today is a day for your gifts because it is brian Fromm's birthday okay so um a topic that you and i have talked about a number of times and i have two different articles that i'd like to address here one of them we won't be able to get to all of it but it's 30 things you can do when someone you love is clinically depressed so it feels like a lot of times what we talk about is if you're listening and you're the one who is feeling like at the pit of despair and we've given a lot of resources and phone numbers, what I think a lot of people find difficult is how do I care for someone else who I know is spiraling or coming unraveled a little bit? So that list of 30 is already at the Facebook page. I want to say that preemptively because we won't be able to get to all of it. But this other article I, I found so fascinating and the headline says the mental health care system isn't ready for COVID-19 either. Stress, fear, and grief are on the rise, and demand for remote therapy has already spiked. So obviously, like the most code red issue, at least initially, was hospital beds, ventilators, that kind of stuff. But what this article is kind of talking about is, yeah, our, our mental health infrastructure also isn't ready for what's coming in the next weeks and months. What, what's going on in this article? Yeah, it's exactly what you just said there, that so much of what we talked about it rightfully so from the beginning of this was right, right. We got to flatten the curve. Why did we want to flatten the curve or why do we still want to flatten the curve? It's to not overrun our medical system. It's to not overrun the hospitals. And uh, long-term what this article at Bloomberg is, is hypothesizing or saying is that like, there's almost a next wave that could overrun um, our healthcare, our mental healthcare system of, uh, of people who the long-term effects you said it in our last segment, there's going to be long-term lasting effects from this right. pandemic. Everything from people who've gone through legitimate trauma of losing a loved one uh, to the isolation people have had to deal with to think about the lack of, of in-person counseling that's going on right now. Like people are getting counseling over zoom and other things, but how many people are there right now who 
who rely on in-person counseling with, with a trusted counselor, therapist, pastor, whatever else, who just can't get it. Um, right. And so this Bloomberg article uh, does a real good job of painting a picture of um, of the results of all of that. And, and I do think it's something, again, we have to be most focused, I think, on the physical, on that. But, but there is uh, a mental health pandemic here uh, that I think we don't know what the effects of that are going to be long term. Yeah, let me let me just read a little from this article. It says COVID-19 hasn't just disrupted how our lives work. It has disrupted how our minds work. We're constantly drawing on past experiences to make predictions about the future, says Mimi Weinsberg, a psychiatrist and co-founder of Brightside, a mental health telemedicine service. That feature of our brains is working in overdrive, if you will, because many of the things that we have learned to expect are suddenly different. We're trying to adjust to a new set of rules, a new set of circumstances. The U.S. was already in the midst of a mental health crisis even before COVID-19 hit. Rates of suicide and drug overdoses have been climbing in recent years. In 2017, 17.3 million adults in the U.S. had at least one major depressive episode. Despite a law that requires insurers to cover mental health care, they routinely deny claims or limit coverage. Patients in some states are 10 times more likely to pay for expensive out-of-network visits for behavioral health than for primary care. Many people don't seek treatment at all. One report found that stigma and shame keep 80% of people out of treatment. That's so heartbreaking to me. That's crazy. Wow. Stigma and shame could keep 80% of people out of treatment. Coronavirus has the potential to make things worse. People aren't only isolated from care, but from each other. In the U.S., more than a quarter of people live alone, and studies have linked loneliness to substance abuse and mood disorders. Others are stuck inside with abusive partners or are living in already strained relationships. Those managing addictions could risk relapse without in-person meeting or access to rehab. Some will bounce back after return to normalcy, but for others... Unmanaged stresses could lead to bigger problems down the line, much like how we don't know how many asymptomatic coronavirus carriers are going to manifest into needing care. We're seeing the same thing in mental health, Winsberg says. All of us that are struggling with the adjustments to new circumstances, some percentage will actually manifest into clinical anxiety or depression. So, again, it's a long article. It's a really, really insightful article. Some of it's hard to read. Um, But are you surprised by any of that, namely like that 80 percent figure? It is surprising and uh, it is surprising and it's also not right. We've talked a lot about the hurdles people internally feel or externally feel about getting mental health, uh, getting health, uh, getting help where they need help. Um, and so it is surprising. Our only call would be to people who who feel like they're struggling, feel like they are drowning. I know it's always hard to hear. We'll go get some help. But I, I want to say that in as, as a compa- as most compassionate way that I possibly can. Uh, reach out to a friend who yeah. can help you uh, reach out to a doctor. Just take that hard first step because uh, you and I have both done counseling in our lives and it's always mm-hmm. um, been difficult, but really, really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, again, I would encourage you to go and read both these articles because they're yep. really insightful. The second one has maybe some more practical nuts and bolts for something that we m- maybe could actually do as a result of this 30 things you can do when someone you live, uh, someone you love is clinically depressed. Brian, would you be willing just yep. to read through those 30 real quickly? Yep. And they're so practical. Here we go. I'll just yeah. read through them quickly. Encourage them to do something they have enjoyed doing and do it with them. Watch an uplifting movie with them, make them their favorite meal, sit quietly with them and hold their hand, take a walk with them, 
take care of yourself. Help them establish and stick to a schedule if possible. Have some sort, have some expectations of them. Assure them of your unconditional love. Assure them that this will pass sooner or later. Give them a back rub. Listen to soothing, spiritually uplifting music with them. Ask them to help you make or do something. Encourage them to talk and then listen carefully. Encourage them to see a doctor if they have not done so. Assure them you don't believe that they are weak or lack faith, but that you know their brain chemistry is experiencing imbalance. Ask Mm -hmm. them to promise you that if they ever begin to feel like they feel suicidal, that they will tell you and they will consult their doctor as soon as possible or contact the suicide hotline. Ask them what might bring them comfort. Talk about the future. Help them see there is a future. Mm. Encourage them to exercise with you. Turn on the lights. Open the windows. Find out as much as you can about depression. A great website would be lighterblue.com. Change your light bulbs to full spectrum light bulbs. Give your loved one a mood light. Get them vitamin D and B12. Remind them of times when they have overcome adversity so they know it's possible for them to do so again. Encourage them to go outside for a walk in some natural sunlight. Turn off news programs and other negative media. Control negative inputs. Where possible, encourage them to connect with friends. And the last one, pray. Every time you find yourself worrying about your loved one, pray instead. What a, what a really powerful list that is. Yeah, I think I'm going to print that off because those are, again, really practical suggestions. If you missed any, all of that's posted on our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Highly encourage you, bookmark that, send it to a friend, save it, I think. uh, And there's obviously a whole lot more, but those 30, a really, really good starting point for reality that I think a lot of us are going to be facing in the coming weeks and months. And I hope that that is helpful in some capacity. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Matt Armstrong of Crossroads Kids Ministry and how they're navigating all of this new reality, particularly when it comes to working with kids. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. First, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages if you have ideas or suggestions. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get your podcast if you wouldn't mind subscribing rating and reviewing all of that does really help us out a whole lot and it has been such a joy even in the season of quarantining to have different guests people with different expertise different passions different heartbeats to kind of share some of what they're doing and what they're about in this time of pandemic and i'm absolutely thrilled to welcome for the very first time matt armstrong welcome to the show sir well, thank you, Ian. It is my privilege to be here today with you all. Well, thanks, man. I'm wondering, just could you give a quick introduction, a quick bio, a background on who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I would love to. So I uh, born and raised in the Chicago area. I was a pastor's kid. So one thing I knew for sure is that I did not want to go into ministry. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the Lord had other other plans, though, which uh, became clear along the way. So as I was coming up, I was thinking about, well, what is it that I would like to do? And what am I good at? And so on. And uh, I loved working with kids. And I also liked working cross-culturally and had been uh, studying Spanish. And so I ended up uh, becoming a bilingual teacher 
uh, and taught in a few different uh, public schools, uh, two different schools in Chicagoland. And I did that for a little while and uh, enjoyed working with the kids, enjoyed working cross-culturally. Uh, I didn't actually like being in the classroom so much. It was, for me, kind of a confining box. I really wanted to be able to share my faith in a more uh, vibrant way uh, with the children. And that just wasn't possible in that role. So in 1998, I met a, a businessman, uh, Bern Birchie. And uh, his company, Camcraft, in Hanover Park had started an outreach to neighborhood kids uh, who were attending the Parkwood Elementary School there. And uh, so that outreach had kind of taken on a life of its own and was growing and just really thriving. And so Vern was looking for somebody to come and, and help them, uh, you know, steer that, that effort. And uh, we met uh, an engineer in his company, was an elder at my church, uh, made a connection. And uh, that's how uh, Crossroads was born. So that's uh, that was our beginning of Crossroads Kids Club back in 1998. Wow. And, and talk to us about how does Crossroads, uh, you know, how do they partner with schools? What are the nuts and bolts of the ministry in the way that you serve kids? Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back to 1998, there were several different iterations. So we uh, initially were very focused on uh, one particular neighborhood, beginning with that Parkwood school. Uh, actually, what happened from there, uh, the thing that I said I would never do, uh, the Lord called us to plant a church in that community. And so wow. we planted and I pastored a church for a few years uh, here in our community. And uh, then uh, around about 2011, we, we realized, well, we realized before that, that uh, the things that we had learned of connecting uh, our church to local schools uh, to make a positive impact and to share the gospel were things that we could probably help other churches do and other communities as well. And so we set out to do that since since 2011. So how does it work? We actually uh, first find uh, churches that have a heart to uh, impact kids and families in their community through a school-based ministry. And then uh, we provide those churches with training and uh, curriculum and just really ongoing coaching and everything they need to be successful at building that relationship with the school and launching a kids club inside of it. So um, at this juncture, Crossroads as an organization is not um, intentionally pursuing relationships with schools. Instead, we are equipping our church partners to build those relationships with schools. Um, and the reason is we uh, are actually now already an international ministry, as well as in five states with God willing, five more in the fall. Wow. And so we're not in every community to build relationship with those principals in those schools. So really our model is, can we equip the church partners to do that? Wow. I love that. All right. So I'm curious then, how has your ministry shifted or pivoted in the last two months in particular? We know that like most families with young kids are like fully immersed in this school at home reality. And, and how, how has that affected or changed or shifted uh, Crossroads Kids? <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty dramatically. Uh, it's interesting because our, our number one core value is relationships. And everything we've done with the kids or with the schools or with our churches has been based on relationships. And, uh, you know, Zoom is just not a substitute for those real relationships. And so I I long for the day when we can sit on the floor with seven kids around us again. Uh, But, of course, in the meantime, the reality is what it is. So we're trying to make the best of it. Uh, So some of our clubs are meeting on Zoom. Uh, Some of them... You know, we've really seen that the digital divide is very real. So in some communities, uh, you know, two or three kids maybe can get on out of a club of 30. 
Uh, and in others, we're seeing where those clubs are, are reaching maybe 60, 70 percent of the kids who are at the club, mm. uh, which is pretty significant. Uh, you know, also, we uh, were trying to give our church partners some ideas for how they could reach out to, uh, to parents during this time. Uh, and and just providing re- whatever resources we can in that way. Uh, we also um, set up a benevolence fund so that mm-hmm. our uh, churches and club leaders, if they saw practical needs, tangible needs in these families. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the cool things is there are about 300 Crossroads Kids Club volunteers across these five states who already had these relationships with families and communities. And so our thought was, man, if if these people who already have these relationships and are very close to the need um, can spot these needs, then we could help to uh, to provide resources for those as well. Wow. How would you describe uh, the uh, the effect that all that we're going through right now is actually having on kids? How would you help us understand what it's been like for kids right now? That's a great question, Brian. I you know honestly I don't know because I'm not I'm not near kids right now. That's right. Uh, it, you know it's interesting. It. it, it it was really cute, and then it bothered me. About uh, two or three weeks ago, we had a nice day out, and my family and I were walking through um, St. Charles uh, area downtown. And, of course, we had to stop at Kilwin's Ice Cream Shop. Mm-hmm. And so they, they bring it out to you now on the sidewalk, right? You call, call in the order. And so we were waiting out there, and there was a family with two, two kids that looked to be twins, about three or four years old. And uh, my daughter and her fiancé were, were standing next to each other on the sidewalk waiting. And these, these two kids, they were so cute, and they, they looked at their parents, and they said, Mommy, they're not standing six feet apart. Mm. And, uh, you know, first we laughed and it was so cute. And then I thought, man, that is this really what these kids are going to be, you know, they're monitoring people for social distance and like what kind of impact is that going to, mm. to have on them? I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be a good one. Mm. Yeah, right. I'm wondering, could you speak a little bit uh, to the person that's listening right now who is right there with you? They're like longing for the days that Crossroads Kids and other ministries like it are open again but they're like stuck in this dark cloud space where they're like, we don't know when that'll be like, can you speak some hope maybe to the exhausted parent or the teacher who is feeling like detached or isolated? What, what words of hope or encouragement would you give to those people? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Man, I think this too will pass. Mm. You know, I, I think we know, Human beings are wired for relationship with God and with one another. And our faith is an embodied faith. And this is not going to last forever. Uh, Eventually, we will be together. In the meantime, I I think it's it's kind of just waiting and and looking for those bright bright spots. I think one thing I do is um, almost every day just to write down some things that I am thankful for. Uh, another thing that I personally am doing is just being a lot more in touch with um, creation, you know, just being outside, uh, whether that's going for more walks or working in the garden and just seeing that um, there is continuity, that life is continuing on and um, you know, the seasons here in Chicago are changing. So I guess uh, just taking a bigger perspective, I mean, there are yeah. realizing that um, in many ways, you know, for a lot of us, this is a, a bit of a grieving season. I have, um, Mm-hmm. Two daughters who are a senior in high school and senior wow. in college, now graduate, and the things that were lost, you know, so there are good days and there are bad days, and we think, you know, well, um, and of course, there are many people who are suffering in many ways far worse than anything we've experienced. But yeah, right. yeah I, I guess just taking that long view and realizing it's okay to feel down sometimes, to, um, you know, to grieve sometimes, to have lament along with hope. Yeah. 
Matt, we're so thankful that you took the time to join us. Why don't you, as we close this up, tell us if somebody wants to get in touch with you guys, maybe point them to a website or if somebody wants to get involved, what are some next steps for people to take? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'd love to uh, invite people next week on uh, Tuesday, May 12th at uh, 1.30 Central. We're having an online uh, conversation with uh, author uh, Todd Bolsinger. He wrote a book called uh, Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. And so I think it's super relevant for any of us who are in any kind of uh, leadership role right now, as we're obviously in uncharted territory. And uh, so people can learn more about that and register at crossroadskidsclub.com forward slash canoeing, forward slash canoeing. Uh, And then while you're there, you can just check out the, the Crossroads website. That's awesome. Matt, thank you so much for all you do and for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah, you. I really appreciate it, man. You've been listening All to right. The Common Good on M1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with birthday boy Brian Fromm. I should have been calling you birthday boy Brian Fromm all show. It's a lot of good alliteration. I like it. Or, or BBBF. That's, that's not even clever. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was going to be funny. Oh, I have to think these things through before I speak them, Brian. From no, that's it's my better. Problem. It's better when it just comes out unfiltered. I know, I know, no inner monologue. It's just there, and that that is a dangerous reality for me to be in. All right, so a couple of things you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. You can actually like and review that page. That helps us out a whole lot. Plus, you can send us messages if you have ideas for shows or guests or topics. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And wherever it is you get your podcast, you all know this already, but subscribing, rating, and reviewing is, and I can't stress this enough, the greatest gift you could give Brian from. If you were thinking of getting him a Tesla, return nope, it. Just go and subscribe, rate, review to the podcast. That's right. That is all he is looking for today. And uh, before we dive into this next topic, I want to remind you again about Thrivent Financial. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. I'm a Thrivent member. It's a wonderful organization. They've been around for more than 100 years. If you're looking for a career change, though, Thrivent.com slash careers is where I want to point you. I know a lot of people are considering career changes right now, and you don't even need to have a background in finance. It's just a great, great organization if you like coming alongside people and helping people. Also, they've been hosting a bunch of webinars to kind of help all of us navigate this new reality. And next Thursday in particular, no, this Thursday at 11 a.m. with Dr. Ed Stetzer, that's going to be leading in times of crisis. You are not going to want to miss that. That's going to be phenomenal. All of that's on our Facebook page. You can also go to thriving.com slash Chicagoland and get all the information that you need right there. Um, I can't believe this is sort of in, in line with like news. I can't believe it's been a year already. But you had actually mentioned you you remember this vividly because it happened on your birthday right. one year ago today. Uh, Rachel Held Evans passed, and if you're not familiar, Rachel Held Evans uh, was a pastor and a writer and an author and someone who, uh, in a lot of ways, led a bit of a revolution for uh, predominantly progressive Christians, mm-hmm. but certainly someone and anyone I didn't know her personally, but I know a lot of people who knew her, and they speak endlessly of her compassion for people her love for people, her willingness to kind of go toe-to-toe on topics that she was really passionate about. And uh, her her passing was was just really sudden, really tragic. And I have a couple of articles here. I don't necessarily know that we need to get too deep into them, but uh, I'm wondering, does this feel like a year ago to you? If it wasn't your birthday, does it feel like longer or less? Or how, how, does, how does remembering Rachel today uh, hit you? It's interesting when you ask that because – 
You know, I remember last year when she passed away, uh, there was this outpouring of especially, you know, obviously from the progressive side, but also from the people who went toe to toe with her all the time going. uh, She was always kind and she was this and that. And uh, but then you just kind of go, you just kind of forget. Right. And so I haven't heard her name in a while, which is different because when she was uh, alive, she was on Twitter all the time. She was writing all the time. Uh, And so it has been good to be reminded um, and again, it's, it's, um, you know, I just remember the shock waves of it last year yeah. and they were for multiple reasons. One, because she was such a leading voice and out there that you heard from her a lot Two, it. It was just the utter tragicness of it. She was 37 years old, two little kids, uh, kind of, uh, this article you had out of, she's from Chattanooga and this was from the Chattanooga times free press today, writing, looking back a year. And it quotes her sister with what I think is just one of the uh, saddest but most profound statements. She said, when I think about my sister, the the way I think about it, essentially, she left us Mm. mid-sentence. And for a writer, right, like that's so poignant. And I think that's why, um, you know, there is something about when people die tragically young. Um, You think about it in music or in entertainment, but also in this here um that that just really impacts you deeply um and, and so i think that was part of it too you know to die at 37 when she wasn't sick she got a right you know people still don't really know exactly what happened but it was always had to they always talk about being an infection that went to her brain or something or other yeah um and and so man it, it highlights again you're reminded that she had such a huge impact in 37 years whether you liked her writings or not whether you agreed with her or not, she still impacted the conversation in yeah. very profound ways. But it also reminds you of the tragedy of it all. Just the right. uh, a mom taken away, a uh, wife taken away, somebody in their prime taken away. Yeah. Uh, it does kind of take you back to a year ago when you and I were doing stories about her because she was in a coma for a little while. And you and yeah. I were doing stories that felt like for two weeks straight about her. And, and it does right. remind you of that time and go, wow, that's a fast year as well. Well, and I don't want to just simply land in grief either because there's two articles that I have here and a lot of them highlight like attributes of her character that I think are really worth emulating. That's something that I'm always trying to think through, you know, when, when officiating a funeral, for example, like what does it look like to carry on this person's legacy? One of the, one of the people that's quoted in this first article is Reverend Jess Cast, who's a United Church of Christ pastor and credits uh, Rachel as sort of being the reason that her career was launched in the first place. She said, uh, Rachel had an uncanny ability of finding the kernel of calling in somebody's life and encouraging that just so graciously. Rachel wrote from her own questions and put thoughts out there and would try them on and would be open to changing if she was wrong. There was just an openness and a teachability and also this knowledge and confidence that she had a lot to offer. And in those two different quotes, I just find so much encouragement but also challenge especially in like this tumultuous season like what was it what would it look like for us to look for the kernel of calling in someone else's life and what she was saying here in the second half being open to changing if we're wrong like that i I feel like is an art that it seems like is in short supply right now where everyone just seems to be louder and louder and more and more confident that they're right and the other person's wrong and i find it so fascinating that on a day like today and it's weird i woke up and i noticed on twitter that it had been a year and it it did leave a strange pit in my stomach again i didn't know her personally but to know so many people who did 
and knowing how devastated they were and still are and how much that's still painful. Like what is the way that we carry on some of those attributes in a world that seems, I think, more divided than it was a year ago? I don't know if you feel that way or not, but it certainly seems like, gosh, we could really use some uh, extra helpings of grace and patience with each other, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think it's well put. And I do think that hi- that thing you highlight was what I remember being struck by when we talked about her last year. And now when you go back and read articles that how many people go who point to her as the person who spurred them on or the person who, like you said, saw something in them and, and spoke positively or spoke encouragement, keep going. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think we do fracture politically, theologically, and there's so many different ways uh, and you and I have talked a million times about how we kind of go to our own tribes often and stay in our own bubble. But I would say if you're somebody who's more conservative out there, who probably uh, didn't appreciate a lot of the stuff that she wrote or some of the stuff she believed, uh, I think you could be reminded that you can grow a lot by just still reading her, like to read outside right. of your tribe. For I sure. think it's one of the best things you can do. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything she wrote, or it doesn't have to mean you have to agree with everything John Piper writes or on the other side or whatever. Right. Um, it helps us to read across the spectrum and then to realize we're on the same team. And to, like you said, to go, what, what was good about this person? And what did this person do positively? Even if I disagree with some of their thoughts, I think is important. And you highlighted some of them really well. She was clearly an encourager. She clearly fought for what she believed. And, uh, you know, in some ways, sadly, you could see the impact somebody has by the depth of the sadness when they pass. And, and hopefully she knew that before she passed, that the depth of, of impact she had on so many people. Well, and I, I love what her friend Amanda Opelt said. She said this was not an act. This was not a brand. This wasn't something she did to sell books. This is something of how she always had been. She's always been the one that saw the kid in the corner of the classroom that didn't have a friend. And that I just find so refreshing when it does feel like, I mean, especially especially in this pandemic, it feels like everyone's got a thing they're selling or yeah. a brand they're pushing. And I, um, again, I'm not saying don't sell your product or don't, you know, like if that's your business, if that's your company, whatever. But there is something I think so refreshing about a posture of somebody that just embodies who God made them to be, you know, and I'm not saying perfectly and I'm not saying without flaw, but Either way, I knew that, and you mentioned it earlier too, like I know a lot of people listening maybe necessarily didn't appreciate her theological perspective. Either way, yeah. I, I think we can reflect and grieve and remember the heartbeat of someone who who stood up for the marginalized and the oppressed, and yes. that became like like the mantra of her life. And uh, And I'll just be honest, today I'm remembering her and I'm asking God for the wisdom to know in what ways maybe do I need to model that and live that out myself. It's good. Uh, I think that's one of the ways that we help carry on that legacy. Well, coming up next in the uh, news of hard right turns, which is how this segment tends to go a lot these days, uh, we're going to land the plane with some interweb insanity. That's stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and for the last time today, the birthday boy, Brian Fromm, I can't encourage you enough. Go to the Facebook page, send him some love. He is a words of affirmation guy, and maybe an Enneagram 3. Do we know what Enneagram you are? 
We don't. I, I need to do that. If only I was under, like, sequestered at home and had time for it right now. <laughs> well, take care of the garage first, and then with yes. whatever time you have. <laughs> Check that out. Either way, just say it again, Brian. I appreciate you. And, Thank you, man. Uh, glad for the chance to do the show with you. If you wouldn't mind, head on over there and send us some love. That's the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. You can like that page. You can review it. You can send us articles if you want, messages. Also on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And for better or for worse, this is Interweb Insanity, stories that we have not read, sound effects that we have not heard. Brian Fromm and I foolishly, trustingly, foolishly, we read these sight unseen and uh, we're right along the ride with you. So why don't you kick us off? Here we go out of Connecticut. CEO organizes a seven-hour virtual beer pong to ease edge off of employees. <laughs> DJ Haddad's virtual beer pong event for employees is the stuff of legend, drawing in 50 of his employees and lasting an epic seven hours. <laughs> Keeping up employee morale during a worldwide pandemic is a challenge, he says. Haddad is keenly aware that as CEO of Haddad and Partners, an advertising company in Fairfield, Connecticut, everybody's on edge. Like, are our clients going to start slowing down or are they going to start pulling projects? But Haddad says one side benefit of virtual meetings and parties for his advertising firm forging new connections with people across teams and across time zones. Oh, interesting. We, we have people in Australia who've never worked with some people in Colorado just because they're on separate teams. Haddad, who has four kids, says working at home with them around makes him ache to get back to the relative quiet of an office. Many of his employees feel the same way. He said, we're all looking forward to meeting back up in person. We're going to have to throw a big party somewhere. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to... All of life's problems. Uh, that's a pretty clever idea. All right, this next one's out of Japan. U.S. Air Force. Yep, we bombed Japan by mistake. <laughs> oh, no. Why do I always get these ones? Uh, <laughs> nothing like having a 500-pound bomb land on your property, but that's what someone experienced in Japan last year. The U.S. Air Force F-16 fighter was flying a training mission in November when the pilot dropped a GBU-12 Paveway 2 bomb near... Uh, I don't even know what that... Yeah, uh, <laughs> doggone bombing range. In, uh, <laughs> I can't read any of these words. Popular Mechanics reports. Unable to see the target amid scattered clouds at night, the pilot asked another plane in his three-ship formation for coordinates, but somehow the pilot got confused and dropped it in the wrong place. Luckily... The laser-guided bomb was inert, but Air Force Magazine reports that it still landed on private property 3.4 miles from the intended target. The Air Force blames the mishap on channelized attention, changing weather, and targeting technical error. I just love making things go kablooey. That's a big oops right there. Ah, geez, Louise, man. Can you imagine? Next one's out of California. Man arrested three times in one day, given citation (laughs) and released. Officers with the Glendora Police Department arrested a man three times in one day due to California's new zero bail policy. The police department says on April 29th, officers responded to a call of a man who was attempted to break into a vehicle. When officers arrived, they contacted 24-year-old Dijon Landrum attempting uh, to drive away in a stolen vehicle. Police say the vehicle was stolen from the East Los Angeles area. Police say in addition to driving a stolen vehicle, he had stolen property and narcotics on him. Officers say they soon arrested him, but due to California's no zero bail policy, he was issued a citation and released. An hour after Landor an hour after Landrum was released, officers got a call of an unknown man who was carrying a box and was walking through front yards of homes. When officers arrived on the scene, they contacted Landrum for a second time. 
uh, he had a box full of uh, of stolen property. He was issued a citation and released. He then got arrested again uh, later in the day with possession of a stolen vehicle. The police department says due to California zero bail policy, Landrum was released with his third citation of the day. People who do that should be arrested. Wow, that's, I mean, almost impressive. Right? Yes. It's nearing the impressive category. All right. Thank you, Florida. Florida, man arrested after camping on Disney World's Discovery Island during coronavirus pandemic. Isn't that where Bob Bob's <laughs> office is? This is funny. No, is that not true? Say that again. I said, isn't that where Bob Goff's office is? On Discovery Island? I have no idea. Is that true? Yeah, I think he mentioned that in one of his books. Either I'll look it up. Disney World has been closed since mid-March as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. One man saw the closure as an opportunity to turn a Disney Island into his personal campsite, but that didn't last long. (laughs) Richard McGuire, 42, almost 43, almost Brian Fromm, from Uh, Mobile, Alabama, was arrested on April 30th after camping on Walt Disney World's Discovery Island, according to an arrest report acquired by USA Today. He was banned from all Disney properties and charged with a misdemeanor for trespass. Now, do we have a problem? Huh? No, sir. No, Mr. Mouse. No, Mr. Mouse. Oh, that's good, because I thought we had a problem for a minute there, huh? Lastly, and I knew this one was going to come up today, uh, Washington dying. State, the Ugh. murder hornet, most people's worst nightmare, has landed in America. So-called <laughs> murder hornets with their spiked mandibles, mandibles, I like man nibbles. <laughs> venomous fingers <laughs> are not. That's, uh, we're going to go with that. They're not yeah. visitors you want to have around. And yet they're here. The New York Times reports that two Asian giant hornets have been spotted in northwest Washington state and a full hive across the border in British Columbia. Now scientists are trying to hunt down the two inch long insects that kill up to 50 people annually in Japan. Oh and decimate entire beehives by beheading the bees and flying off, flying off with their thoraxes to feed hornets young. This is our window to keep it from establishing. If we can't do it in the next couple of years, it probably can't be done, but it's not a job that most people want. Ripping my flesh off! Son, uh, roll around! Did you hear me? Roll around on the ground! Forget that! I'm starting to swell up! Save yourself! Don't be the hero! Your firearms are useless against them! Have you seen like the close-up pictures of them? By the way, they're they're absolutely terrifying looking. Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> well, that's a creepy note to end on. On this Brian Fromm's forty-third birthday. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking a break from cleaning the garage to be on the common good, Brian. I'm anytime. Hey, man, you've made me feel special today. I appreciate it. I felt great all the way up to the murder hornets, but you know we're going to go on with the day. <laughs> Tale as old as time, Brian Fromm. Well, for Brian Fromm, I mean Simpkins. You've been listening to the Common Good. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow from four to six p.m. right here on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life.